Harvest New Beginnings Church is located in Oswego, Illinois. We exist for God's glory alone, encouraging each other to have a deep love for God and a sincere love for people. This message is brought to you by a special guest. I want to invite you somehow, some way, via hard copy, via technology, to get to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. We're going to walk through the first 11 chapters. Ha, no, first 11 verses in Romans. Um, Paul, is, Paul is really doing something interesting here. I think it has great import for our lives. Romans chapter 5, first 11 verses. Woke up this morning, sunshine, coolness in the air. Love springtime. Who's with me? Love, love, love springtime. My wife and I live, uh, so we work, both work, we both teach at uh, Roar Christian, uh, but we live 45 minutes west. So, uh, so every day it's a 45-minute trip to Aurora and back to uh, where we live, uh, some, five days a week, sometimes six days a week. And uh, this time of the year, I thoroughly enjoy that travel. Farmers have been in the field and Man, just to drive those country roads and you see the, the, the crab apples blossoming and uh, uh, the Bradford pears, if you know what they are, the, the whiteness of, oh, it's incredible. Um, corn, it's about that tall in many of the fields already. It's in springtime for me is a reminder of the realities of the gospel. Springtime for me is a reminder of who I am as a child. I think, there's a, I think there's a spiritual parallel between what we experience, what we call springtime, and our Christian lives. For those of us who are in Christ, I think there's this, this parable of so we go through this dormant winter when we, man, there's starkness and no leaves on the trees and all that kind of good stuff and the, the grass has gone, uh, has gone dormant and man, will there be green and color and all that kind of stuff again. And, and we experience, don't we? We do. This springtime, as if, for me, every year, every year, it's as if for the first time. And I think the parallel to our Jesus following life is we need to be reminded. We need to be renewed. We need to be refreshed. We need to experience the recreation that is the love of God. And sometimes as if for the first time. So Paul has a word for us today in Romans 5, and I want to set the stage. I want to very carefully, very briefly walk through the first four chapters of Roman, Romans to help, uh, help us set the stage for Romans chapter 5. So in Romans chapter 1, chapter 2, and for the most part of Romans chapter 3, Paul lays out the gospel. And he basically starts by uh, helping us understand something that we pretty much know. That the that the world was born in sin. I was born in sin. You were born in sin. Sinner by nature. We are rebels at heart. We came into this world. Rebels by nature. And it didn't look good. And because of that, because we had basically said thanks to no, but, but no thanks to God, 
we were under, we actually deserved his judgment. And then partway through chapter three, there's this significant pivot by Paul. For the first two and a half chapters, a bleak story. Sinners, judgment, all that kind of good stuff. A bleak story. But there's good news. There's good news because there's bad news. And we have to understand the the bad news if we're going to understand the good news. Romans chapter 3, about verse 21, Paul begins to pivot. And I'm going to read verses 21 and 22 uh, of Romans chapter 3. But now, apart from the law, important words, but now. Apart from the law, the righteousness of God, key phrase, has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. In other words, the Old Testament spoke of, foreshadowed the righteousness of God. What what is this righteousness of God, Paul? The righteousness of God, Paul tells us, is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So he's talking about this righteousness, this right standing, if you will, that we have before the Father. And then in chapter two, or I'm sorry, and then in chapter four, Paul gives a, a like this real life example, biblical character, Abraham, as an example of this righteousness that comes by faith. Almost the entire chapter of Romans chapter four is Paul fleshing out this, this kind of life that is a righteousness that comes by faith in and through Jesus Christ. So first two and a half chapters of Romans, um, sinners deserve the judgment of God, pivot in chapter three towards the end of chapter three, but now a righteousness from God is available. And then chapter four, the example of Abraham living out that kind of a life. And now we get to Romans chapter five. Are we good? We ready to dive into this? Yep. Okay. Romans chapter five, Paul segments these 11 verses into two parts. And so we are going to honor that. We're going to walk through verses one through five, and then we're going to walk through verses six through 11. So Romans chapter five, verse one, therefore. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us. Why? Why, Paul? Because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given us. I want to kind of uh, walk through those verses individually, but, but let, me, let me put this in place. When you're reading, when you're studying the Bible, when you're engaged in scriptures, among other things, yes, it is God's word, but it's also literature. It's also a book, and we need to honor that reality as we study the word. And one of the ways we honor that reality is, is by paying very, very close attention to verb tenses. 
especially in the book of Romans, especially in chapter five, we need to pay attention to verb tenses. So I'm gonna walk through these five verses and highlight the verb tenses and why they matter. So verse one, therefore, since we have been, past tense, since we have been justified by faith. The word therefore, you've, you've, you've probably heard this. When you come upon the word therefore in scripture, you need to figure out, you need to find out, you need to discern what the word therefore is there for. So the word therefore is there because Paul is telling us, he's going all the way back to chapter three, verse 21. And he says, therefore, in light of that reality, you have been justified by faith. Justified, incredibly important uh, word for Paul, not just in the book of Romans. So the word justified here means to be declared righteous. And here's what it means in, in this context. The Father, for those of us who are in Christ, the Father has, past tense, has declared us righteous forever. We have been, past tense, justified through faith in Christ and his finished work on the cross and the resurrection to validate all of that. So that's past, Paul says. Skip all the way to verse five because here is his second past tense. Last part of verse five, God's love has been poured out, past tense, in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who was, past tense, given to us. When was God's love poured out into our hearts? When was the Holy Spirit given to us? When we were justified. Jesus' words, when we were born again, saved, however you want to phrase that. Okay? That's all past. It's past tense, but, and this is important, its effects carry into the future. Its effects are realized now. And that's the rest of Romans 1 through 5, all present tense stuff based on our past tense justification. Does that make sense? Okay, ushers, will you pass out the quiz? <sighs> Love to give you a pop quiz right now. It's just like in my DNA. All right, second half of, uh, of verse one. This is all present stuff, present tense stuff. And what it means is, these are things we all possess right now. We have, present tense, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That word peace is an interesting, it needs to be we tend to give this word peace a surface level treatment, but we need to get beneath. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace, this, this corollary, is the word shalom. And it means wholeness. It means there's no fracture. There's nothing off. There's no disease. There's nothing missing. And that's the idea that Paul's trying to convey to us. We now have, because we have been justified because of the sacrifice of Christ, we have wholeness before the Father. Right now, present tense. Nothing off, 
no disease, nothing fractured, nothing lacking. That is ours, that is our possession right now. Peace with God. Verse 2, we have also, so present tense, we have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. We stand, present tense, and we boast, present tense, in the hope of the glory of God. In the hope of the glory of God, we boast in the hope of the return of Jesus Christ. But right now, we live in tension. I feel it. I feel it daily. Jesus' first coming, first advent, 2,000 years ago, second advent, question mark, right? And where are we? We're right here. So we live with the tension of the already but not yet reality of the kingdom of God. Already the kingdom of God is advancing here on earth as it is in heaven. Already, right? Because the king came and he brought the kingdom with him. But the kingdom is not yet consummated yet. It's not yet in its fullness. There is still brokenness in the world. And so, and, and so Paul is helping us to navigate the tension of the already but not yet that is the reality of our Jesus following life. Does that, are you tracking with that? Does that make sense? Right? You feel that. Okay, Paul, I get it. I am whole before God. But Paul, if I'm honest with myself, I don't always live that way. Paul, there is still brokenness within me. And so we live with that tension. Verses three through five. So we, so we, so we stand in the grace of God. We stand in his good graces, present tense. Feel that, feel the weight of that. If you are in Christ, right now you stand in the good graces of your heavenly Father. If you're going to be in anybody's good graces, might as well be in God's good graces, yes? yes? That is a present tense reality for the child of God. Paul says in verse 3, and not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Affliction. Other places in the New Testament, the word is translated anguish, distress, persecution, tribulation, trouble. You get the picture. A number of years ago, I was at school, it was in the morning, and I heard some commotion in, uh, in our gym. And so I kind of went over, I opened the doors, and it was track practice. And I was watching uh, these students, a number of students, they were running the bleachers back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then they would cross to the other side, up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. And then they would have to, go, there was this garbage can kind of in the middle of the floor and the coach is, is, is nearby kind of watching. And like, this is new, to, I've never seen anything like this before. This is new to me. And every, every uh, athlete, when they, after they did both sides, they would come and they would like spit out something in the garbage can. I'm like, what is, 
what is going on here? What is, are they sick? Do I want to be here? Here's what I found out. Those, the coach was teaching those athletes endurance. And here's what it was all about. They had to uh, uh, gather a mouthful of water. And then they had to run those bleachers up and down, up and down, come across, up and down, up and down. And they had better spit out the exact same amount of water when they were finished as when they began. They better not have swallowed any water. Otherwise, they get to do that again. What was the coach teaching them? To, when they're running, when they're exerting themselves, to breathe through their nose, to to expand their oxygen, to expand their lung capacity. In other words, to expand their endurance. Now, I promise you, not a one of those athletes enjoyed that. Not one athlete enjoyed that affliction. But I also promise you, they were thankful for it when they got out on the track. Right? That's just a very... But we go through, we go through afflictions... Just talking with a couple of former students after the previous service. Lost their father. Still walking through affliction. Breakdowns in relationships. Unfulfilled dreams. Afflictions. We get that, don't we? It's the world we live in. This side of Genesis 3. This side of the fall. Afflictions is the world we live in. But, but Paul says, be careful. Because your affliction is not the end of the story. You don't know the end of the story until you've heard from God. Because this affliction produces endurance. This endurance produces proven character. And proven character produces hope. And this hope does not disappoint. And then Paul finishes off in verse 5 with the past tense. Because the love of God has been poured forth in our heart. And the Holy Spirit has been given us. So... To sum up these five verses, according to Paul, because we have been justified in Christ, we now, present tense, as you sit here, dear child of God, you now possess peace with God, wholeness before him. You stand in his good graces. You have hope in your affliction. And we have hope in the return of Christ. Those are all realities right now. <clears throat> However, do we really believe it? Looks good on paper, right? But do we really believe it? Have we really bought into these realities? And so I wonder out loud among you. I wonder out loud before you. If far too many of us are desperately trying to become something, someone that we already are. Let me say that again. I wonder out loud if far too many of us, looks good on paper, if far too many of us are desperate, desperately trying to become something, trying to become someone that we already, in God's eyes, are. Last fall, a neighbor of mine 
had health issues and I watched as his, as his lawn was getting longer and longer and longer. So I simply took my lawnmower. I, I didn't talk to him or anything. He didn't pay me or anything. Just took my lawnmower over and mowed his lawns. Just, just wonderfully, perfectly straight lines. It's the old landscaper in me. You know, just, and uh, came back home. That was it. How silly would it have been for my neighbor immediately after I left from mowing his lawn wonderfully, beautifully, if he then came out, went to, the, went to his garage, got his mower and said, I need to mow my lawn. That would not make sense, right? But do we do that with the righteousness that is ours? Because we don't really believe it. In fact, our mindset is, and we may not even verbalize this to ourselves, but our mindset is the gospel is too good to be true. Because your theology is not what you say. Your theology is what you do. It's how you live. So please allow me to explain. Please allow me to unpack this. So, so I want to examine how I think we tend to relate to God versus how God actually relates to us as his children. I want to, I want to frame it in, in kind of this is a doctor's visit, if you will. All of us love going to the doctor. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to throw four symptoms your way. Okay, and in your heart of hearts, you consider, are any of these to any degree true of me? Symptom number one, do you tend to have a general lack of love, grace, and mercy toward others? Do you tend to have a general lack of love, grace, and mercy toward others? Symptom number two. Do you tend to have a general lack of love, grace, and mercy, watch this, toward yourself? Symptom number three, and this one is where I'm at. Do you think that God is often disappointed in you? Like, in the... In the depths of your soul, there's this vague sense that given enough time, the Father eventually is going to grow tired of you. Symptom number four. Are you trapped in a cycle of pride and depression based upon your performance? Let me unpack pride. Let me unpack depression. Pride looks like this. Um, I get it, right? I under, hey, we've all messed up. We all have our flaws. We all have our stuff. I'm not, I mean, I get it. I own that. But at least I'm not as bad as, and you fill in the blank. I mean, compared to, right? Now, I'm pretty sure nobody in here plays that game. So that's the pride piece. Here's the depression piece. I am trash. I am garbage. And I know that's how God sees me. 
because I can't even measure up to and fill in the blank. Are you trapped in a vicious cycle of pride and depression based upon your performance? Those are symptoms. Here's the disease. The disease is moralism. Moralism is, in effect, we think the gospel is too good to be true. Maybe true for somebody else, maybe true for my neighbor, maybe true for my, for my wife, for my co-worker, all that kind of stuff. But it's not, it's too good to be true for me. So we continue to work for our righteousness that we already have. We continue to uh, work for getting into God's good graces, except we already stand in God's. Is anybody, does this make sense? Are we tracking with this? This is real life. This is rubber meets the road Christianity. We tend, often unknowingly, it's so subtle, so subtle. We tend to be on a performance basis with God. When the work has already been done. Here's the prognosis. Prognosis, if you're unfamiliar. If the disease is left unchecked, here's the likely outcome of our life. We will see God mm, as a disappointed father whom we are more prone to run from than to run to in our time of need. Our attitude becomes the gospel may be true for others, but it's really too good to be true for me. I think, to one degree or another, that is our tendency as children of God of how we relate to our Heavenly Father. But this is how our Heavenly Father actually relates to us. And it's the verses 6 through 11 of Romans 5. It's almost as if Paul and it's almost as if he pauses because he anticipates our moralistic tendencies, our the gospel is too good to be true, Paul, tendencies. And so we have verses 6 through 11. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 7. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through, his de through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? Not only that, it's like, wait, there's more. But we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. In anticipation of our moralistic tendencies, Paul goes all the way back to verse 1 and revisits our justification, revisits the Father's declaration that we have right standing in his presence. Check out verse 6. For while we're still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Listen. Jesus did not wait until you were strong enough to die for you. It's while we were still helpless that he died for us. Verse 8, 
But God proves, such an important word, but God proves his own love for us in that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. The word proves means to demonstrate, literally to line up with. And in this verse, here's what it, what it means. God's love for us lined up with his actions toward us. What was his action? He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In other words, God practices what he preaches. His love lines up with his actions. He proved it. He demonstrated it. That's what's going on in that verse. The Father didn't wait until we cleaned up our act to love us. And the Son didn't wait until we cleaned up our act to die for us. Verse 10. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? The father didn't wait until we became his friend to reconcile us, and the son didn't wait until we became his friend to die for us. The father's love for us and his son's death for us, hear this, we're independent of, in fact, in spite of our actions. So if that was true in our BC before Christ's life, how true is it now? Dear child of God, the performance took place 2,000 years ago. Stop trying to become who you already are. Rest in the reality of your present tense possessions in Christ. The prescription leading to the cure for our bent toward moralism, our, our bent toward working to obtain our own righteousness is this. It is an embracing. It is an understanding. It is a buying into Jesus' once for all time sacrifice. So you're going to see a number of passages of Scripture come up on the screen with the same underlying Greek word translated once for all, once for all time. Romans 6.10, for the death Jesus died, he died to sin once for what? All time. How many times? Once for all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Peter, 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. The book of Hebrews is rich in the idea of this singular, once for all, forever good enough sacrifice of Christ. Hebrews 7.27, he, Jesus, doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as high priests do, first for their own sins, then for those of the people. He did this once for all time when he offered himself. Hebrews 9, 11 through 12. But Christ has appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come. In the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered the most holy place once for all time. You beginning to see a pattern here? This is scripture. This is truth. This is reality. <clears throat> Not by the blood of goats and calves, 
but by his own blood, having obtained what kind of redemption? What does it say? Eternal. Eternal. That's a long time, yes? Kind of. 928, so also Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And finally, Hebrews 10. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. And here it is again. You need to buy into this. You need to hear this. This needs to settle deeply in your soul once for all time. Huh. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who have been sanctified. Michael Reeves, a theologian and author, I, I like how he captures it. He writes, we are here right at the heart of what makes the good news good. Because Christ's redemptive work is entirely sufficient, it is good enough, folks. The gospel is God's kind work of rescue not his offer of assistance. That's rich, yes? Not his offer of assistance. If we are going to lean into the hope of Romans 5, those realities that Paul speaks of, if we're going to buy into those, then like springtime, we need to be renewed. We need to be refreshed. We need to be reminded. We need to experience the recreation that is the gospel as if for the first time. Dane Ortland, another uh, theologian and author, helps us understand what that would look like. When you sin, do a thorough job of repenting, for sure. Rehate sin all over again for sure. Consecrate yourself afresh to the Holy Spirit and his pure ways, for sure. But reject the devil's whisper that God's tender heart for you has grown a little colder because it has not. Reject the devil's whisper that God's tender heart towards you is a little stiffer because it is not. He is not flustered by your sinfulness. Strategic pause. He is not flustered by your sinfulness. The hardest part has been accomplished. God has already executed everything once for all time needed to secure your eternal happiness. And these last few sentences absolutely wrecked me. And he did this while we were orphans. Nothing can now unchild you. Not even you. Not even you. You're actually going to help me close out today's message. There's a, uh, a song that's very familiar to many of us. And we're going to speak its words. We're going to declare its reality 
and we're going to do it together. It's the song, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You're kind of sort of familiar with that. So you can see those words on the screen. And I want us to say those together. I want us to speak those together. I want us to declare those together as a way of renewing, as a way of refreshing, as a way of reminding, as a way of, uh, of experiencing the recreation that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here we go. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Dear child of God, Jesus did not come to this world to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. This is not about moralism. It's not about becoming good enough. You were dead and he resurrected you once for all time. Done. The only thing left to do is live out that reality. He didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. He came to resurrect us. Now sing this with me. If you know how to sing, if you think you sing well, man, sing out loud. If you don't think you sing well, fake it. Are you ready? All right. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. That's real. That's truth. I leave you with this final thought. Because of the Father's love, the Son's sacrifice, and the Spirit's keeping, for the child of God, every single day can be springtime. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how good it is, how refreshing it is to stand in your good graces. How good it is, Father, to stand whole in your presence. How good it is, Father, to have the hope of the return of Christ within our soul. Father, thank you for reminding us of these realities. Thank you for that, that your love never grows a little colder, never grows a little stiffer in spite of our imperfections. No, your love was settled once and for all at the cross. And so, Father, I pray for healing in our souls 
for those of us who to one degree or another are on a performance basis with you and with your righteousness. Lord, as Pastor Andrew has said before, we need to leave some things. We need to empty ourselves of some things and this wrong thinking is one of those. And we need to run to you. We need to run to your open arms. Father, would you bring healing to our souls? In Jesus' name, amen. If you've been prompted by this message and are in need of a new beginning or would like more information about Harvest New Beginnings, visit at harvest.church.